Once again, it is early on a Sunday morning, so you know what that means. Grinders, it is our time. This is episode number 41 of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. Josh Taylor, Greg Finley, coming at you as usual. We got a fun name for this one. As always, we like to use obscure names or maybe overly popular ones, but usually we go obscure. Greg, this time we came up with a great one. I thought the moment we mentioned number 41, I thought we found a great one. Let us know. The Lethon Flowers episode. Lee Flowers. If you remember back during that time when Lee Flowers was still a Steeler, this was before Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl in 2002. This was leading up to that time. If you remember Lee Flowers' rant about the Buccaneers being paper champions, that was one of my all-time favorite Steelers locker room rants ever. If you can find it on YouTube or Google it, Google Lee Flowers Paper Champions. It is one of the all-timers. So I love the fact that this is the Lee Flowers episode. I was too young to know about that, so I'm going to have to look that up later. Pretty sure. I didn't know about that. Pretty sure I was either like late in high school or early in college when that happened. I would have been eight. That makes you feel better. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you for that. Appreciate you sharing. That's what you get for all your Mets jokes. (laughs) It's not my fault they make it easy. Okay. They make it easy. <laughs> we're, t- we're too nice to each other on these, so sometimes we need one of these, right? Every, every once in a while, just to cleanse the palate of all the pleasantry, we got to, you know, kind of just jam one in there. A little bit of a different format. We're going to do what we did before. We'll still have two segments, but we we kind of enjoyed this the first time we did it, and it kind of moved things along a little bit faster. So we're going to go with our rapid fire for the first segment. The second segment we're going to do what we always do. We're going to do what you love. We're going to play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? So we'll do that in the second segment. We have some interesting topics to talk about there. Kind of baseball heavy, and we haven't talked a lot about baseball. So Is This a Thing? We'll have a lot of baseball discussion, which you and I will never complain about. No. It's that time of year. But no, absolutely, let's get into this because there's a lot of stuff that has happened in the past week, and we can kind of jump around from sport to sport. We'll start with what's happening on the home front here. Steelers, after a long, extensive process, they interviewed 16 different candidates. And they finally found their guy. And it was a guy who was in their own backyard the entire time. Omar Khan, previously previously the vice president of uh, business administration and football or business and football administration, I believe, with the Steelers organization, one of Kevin Colbert's right-hand men, if you want to narrow it down to something simpler. He is your new Steelers general manager. He's been with the organization for 21 years. He gets the call, has been known for a while as the Steelers' salary cap expert. Some say genius, some say guru. Given the work he's done in past years, including this past offseason, I would not argue either designation. But bottom line, Omar Khan's the guy. The way that I'm going to say it is a lot on his plate. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger's gone now. It's time for a new quarterback. And his first year, it's Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. That is not easy to step into. No. You've also lost a couple of other guys. Juju's gone. You're going to have a younger wide receiver core. But great defense that they have built. Adding Miles Jack to that defense. Guys coming back healthy. Hopefully, Tuit's going to come back. Alualu's going to come back. I thought Kevin Colbert killed it in the draft. Omar Khan's going to have to do that next year. We'll see what he looks like in the drafting players in the year to come. But, you know, 
this is it's the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he knows that. He said that. He said, you know, I know that it's not going to be easy, and I know that there's a high bar, there's a high standard here because it is Pittsburgh Steelers football. We aren't going to be a team that's going to lose. So a lot on his plate to come into a new to this organization with a brand new quarterback in his very first year. I think the the run up to this decision is probably the overlooked part because we we talk about what Kevin Colbert did in the offseason as far as bringing everybody he brought in, bringing back the guys he brought back and you know filling out this depth chart and having a lot of of depth that they did not have before. I think we're ignoring Omar Khan's part in this because the thing that we kind of gloss over and I talked about this going into free agency. The Steelers had more cap space this past offseason than they had had maybe ever under Kevin Colbert, but the most they had had in a long time. I mean, I have to go back through the exact numbers to make sure if it was the most maybe under Kevin Colbert, but it was the most they've had in a long time. And they used, not only did they use a good amount of the money, but they used it very wisely. They didn't sign guys to really exorbitant contracts, and that includes Mitchell Trubisky, the quarterback whom they brought in. Now, granted, if he meets every parameter that's laid out, it could turn into a twelve-year, a twelve million dollar deal over two seasons. But even then, that still seems kind of kind of small compared to what you're paying for other teams. Now, bear in mind, Ben Roethlisberger's gone. They draft Kenny Pickett twentieth overall. They signed Mitchell Trubisky, and they had him locked up the first day of free agency. Now, they managed to have three quarterbacks under contract. Two of them are making more than $3 million, but the combined number is still less than some are paying to their starters, maybe even a fraction of what they're paying. Then you have other guys you brought in like Miles Jack, who's not here on an expensive contract. They brought a couple corners, and they brought one back in Akella Witherspoon. Didn't have to break the bank for those guys. They've managed to do a really good job of bringing in guys that could help this team immediately. They brought back Terrell Edmonds on a one-year, $2.5 million deal. They brought back a lot of depth here and did not have to spend money to do it, and they filled nearly every position even before the draft. They did a great job addressing the offensive line woes from last year by bringing in NFL-ready free agents. They're not going back to the well of drafting college kids in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round and throwing them under the bus at the NFL level in week one. I love that they finally addressed the offensive line by getting Free agents, guys that have already played at the NFL level, and Mason Cole is a good is a good signing. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say Mason Cole is a bad signing because I think it's good. But the one that I like the most is James Daniels. Yes, a quality right guard, and I talked about this on Chris Carter's podcast, Locked On Steelers, in Chicago. People in Chicago were upset that James Daniels left Chicago for Pittsburgh, and people in Pittsburgh were happy that James Daniels came to Pittsburgh. But people outside of Chicago and Pittsburgh were also were also saying. Hey, that's a good move for the Steelers to get a guy like that who's both young and experienced and get him for cheap. I know everybody wants to heap the praise on Kevin Colbert, but let's not forget what Omar Khan's role was during this whole process. He gets some credit for that. I think that run up leading into, you know, the end of Kevin Colbert's tenure, that run up leading into the draft. And then finally him stepping aside, Omar Khan had a lot to do with this team getting things together and getting under that cap number and having plenty to spare even after the draft. Omar Khan should get some credit for that, being the team salary cap guy, maybe not as much as Kevin Colbert, but he should be in the conversation. Might be a reason why they went with him. I mean, 
not the only reason, but it might be one of the reasons why they they go, why wouldn't we go with a guy already in the organization? It might have pushed that side of the scale down a little bit further. I would agree with and, that. And now Brandon Hunt most likely going to the Eagles, or he already is going to the Eagles, correct? It sounds that way. Yeah. And, you know, we were all excited about Theo Riddick, the opportunity of that. But... Oh, I mean, Lewis Riddick. Oh, yeah, Lewis and, Riddick. And the thought of having Lewis Riddick, I mean, Theo Riddick was, of course, a former <laughs> defensive back, too. My bad. Um, but, you know, Lewis Riddick, I thought, I felt like if Lewis Riddick was brought here, and this is, I, I think I had the right idea, I just had the wrong names. I felt like if Lewis Riddick came here, that it could be a kind of a marriage of sorts, like Lewis Riddick on one side, Omar Khan on the other side, and that could be the dichotomy with kind of somebody kind of overseeing the top of it, whether it's Art Rooney or someone else. I got it wrong. Omar Khan was one side of that coin, but the other side was Andy Weidel, who was also a candidate for the GM job. He gets hired as the assistant general manager, and now he's the player personnel side of that coin. So I had the right concept of it being a a two-side marriage. I just had the wrong guy in mind. But Andy Weidel, who has a great reputation coming out of Philly and has a good reputation coming out of Baltimore, and it's worth noting that he was in both front offices while both teams were winning Super Bowls. So he walks in the door with a Super Bowl ring on each hand. Before he and, and this is considering the fact that he worked with the Steelers previously in their player personnel department under Tom Donahoe, who he later worked with with the Eagles. So he's a guy who has some Pittsburgh pedigree, and of course he's a Mount Lebanon native. So all this kind of weaves in into now where you have this front office where yes, Omar Khan is the guy, but there's going to be, to use the Mike Mike Tomlin term, a division of labor as to how they really staff this department. And it looks like they're bringing in other guys too to help round this team out. They just they just announced a couple more hires to round out this front office and bring in a collection of talent that can really make a better collective as far as making decisions and getting things done. I'm excited for what is to come. I mean, I know that the quarterback situation, it's most likely going to start with Trubisky, but a lot of people want Kenny Pickett to start. But I think that it would be fine if he didn't. He can learn a lot from a guy like Mitch Trubisky, and you don't need to throw him into the NFL, especially in week one when you're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. I'd prefer that you have Trubisky there. What's the real rush of starting Kenny Pickett right now? There is none. You want to see what Trubisky is, don't you? He has not taken a snap in camp. He has not taken a snap in a preseason game. I'm going to remind people of this again. The Steelers drafted Ben Roethlisberger 11th overall in 2004. Tommy Maddox started week one. Right. And that was nothing against Ben. Ben was a rookie. They wanted to bring him along and find out what he really was and if he was capable. Now, granted, yes, week two, Tommy Maddox gets hurt against Baltimore. Ben Roethlisberger steps in, and the rest is history. It worked out pretty well. It worked out pretty well. (laughs) But the original plan was for Ben to sit and learn before he was inserted in. He had to pretty much learn in the trial by fire, but at the same time, that transition was incredibly easy for him. Why? Because he had a really good offensive line. He had an all-pro center and a Hall of Fame guard. He had a Hall of Fame running back he was handing the ball off to. And he had a pretty damn good defense on the other side of the ball, too. So, like, you're talking one of the best defenses in the league. So that transition was very easy for him. Pretty good receivers, too. Pretty good receivers, too. Now, where am I going with this? Why does this sound familiar? Really good running back in the backfield in his second year. Improved offensive line, maybe not a Hall of Famer or an All-Pro, but improved offensive line, really good defense on the other side of the ball, and some talent at the receiver position. So let's say if Mitchell Trubisky starts and something goes wrong and Kenny Pickett's now inserted. 
you feel better about the possibility of him being thrust into that role because the circumstances around him are a lot better than they were last year. That makes me feel confident about it. But am I anointing him the starter week one? No. But if he is pressed into duty, I feel comfortable with him having that opportunity based on the team around him. This isn't the Cleveland Browns with Johnny Manziel when they brought him in because they were so bad at right. quarterback. And they kept drafting quarterbacks and failing miserably time and time again. <laughs> and then Manziel came in, had one good quarter, and they're like, oh, this guy's going to be great. And then it's like, oh, wait, it's the Browns. That's not going to happen with Kenny Pickett because the Steelers are you know, capable of being good. You good to move on here? Yeah, let's keep okay. it moving. And like we'll we'll wrap it a bow with this. I think it's gonna be interesting because this this organization really gets an entirely new look. New GM, new quarterback, rebuilt offensive line, new faces on defense, new defensive coordinator, second year offensive coordinator, but never really showed what his offense truly was. So technically this is the first real year of the Matt Canada offense. Yes. The only thing that's really the same is the head coach. But now it feels to me. This truly now feels like Mike Tomlin's team as head coach because this is now entirely his group. Everybody else has moved on. This is now his team, and it just feels like a different era beginning with this organization. Let's switch over to basketball. NBA playoffs going on, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit off air. I know we talked about it in the last show, but there has been (laughs) – since we got to the conference final round, it has just – I think you and I expected a certain outcome, but I don't think we expected the way we would get here to be the way it is. This is not. So, this has not been very entertaining. No, the first round we got spoiled with yes the Warriors the um I'm blanking now the the Bucks and the Nets yes or the Celtics and the Nets those were pretty close games at first. You had some other great series like the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. That went seven games. You're Bucks like, and Bulls were a good series. Yeah. So we had great first round, but then after that, it Man. was just it's just been miserable. Well, even the second round series, Warriors and Grizzlies was even entertaining. I mean, granted, it may not have finished as well as it started, but even that had a level of entertainment to it. it. Game five, the Warriors lost by like 40 points, right. and it didn't even matter. Right. Game six, they just dominated. That's, but I think you and I expected the Warriors to bounce back, given the way yes. that they normally play. We knew that was more of an anomaly than something to be expected. Here's the problem I have. I think we would have been way better off if the Suns didn't fall flat on their faces against the Mavericks and we would have had Suns and Warriors, it would have just been more fun. I think we feel better if it's Suns and Warriors. I think we feel better if maybe even if Brooklyn doesn't get knocked out. Mm. Maybe we feel better if the Bucks beat the Celtics and not the other way around. Yes. Maybe we feel better about that, that series. They had no Chris Middleton. It seemed like it had an effect. I think if you have, maybe if you have Celtics and Bucks on one side and Warriors and Suns on the other side, you probably feel better about the about this this playoffs. But the way the teams were stacked and the way they receded, it messed everything up. And let's be honest, Phoenix falling apart ruined everything. And the way they did, right. Kevin Booker was two of fifteen. I tweeted. Our friend Steve Banco, I was like, is Steve Banco breathing right now? And he never even acknowledged my tweet. I think he was so oh. mad at Devin Booker and the Suns. Oh, Banco was, Banco was, he was inconsolable at I that mean, point. They're at home. It's game seven. And that was the performance you put on? You lost by 40 to Dallas? And now we see two series with Boston and Miami. And then you have Golden State and Dallas. And it's like, 
these matchups aren't fair because they're they weren't supposed to happen. No, I these mean, matchups were not supposed to happen. Miami was not supposed to survive Philly. They That's weren't. another one that happened that probably should not have happened. I think if anybody would have been asked before the playoffs started, we would have probably expected Suns Warriors on one side and probably Boston and Philly or Milwaukee and Philly even better on the other side. Correct. This is what we ended up with Boston and Miami and the Warriors and Dallas. And it's like, wait a minute. How did we get here? We got here because the Suns choked in game seven. <laughs> exactly. I, they lose in Dallas. I go, okay, fine. The Mavericks were undefeated at home in the playoffs. I get it. Game seven, though, that was your, like, they were dead from the beginning of oh, yeah. that game. Um, it was L- over from the beginning. Luka Doncic had as many points as the Suns at halftime. Yes. Like, it, it was <laughs> It was clear. It was clear that it wasn't the Suns' night. And then in the East, Embiid gets hurt multiple yep. ways. Yep. Still plays through it somehow, but it just wasn't, he just wasn't healthy enough. Yeah. And, and Bam Adebayo was able to contain him. They James Harden did what he did in the playoffs, which is not show up. Right. <laughs> it's uh, just it's the same old song and dance with a team led by James Harden. I feel the same way about Philly that I do about Phoenix. Philly had enough resources around them to maybe try to overcome and couldn't do it. Milwaukee, I don't feel as similar because you know what the Bucks are. You know what the Bucks can do with Giannis, and that's fine. But I thought Boston was built well enough to say, okay, Giannis is probably going to get his, but he's not going to beat us. He's not going to kill us. And Boston was able to adjust to that. But not only that, it got to the point where Boston was making Milwaukee play their game, and Milwaukee started losing. And then, worst of all, they couldn't match what Boston was doing because the guy they needed the most to do that in Chris Middleton wasn't available. Correct. That's what made it a, b- a big problem for Milwaukee, at least in my opinion. So now we're recording this on Friday. It's game six of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight or the day we're recording this. None of these games have been good. None of them <laughs> have been close. They've been blowouts on either Somehow end. it's gone to a game six. How? <laughs> I don't know. Here's the bigger question. Do we expect this to go to seven? No, I think Boston will end it in game six at home. I feel like Boston should end it in game they six at home. They are minus 435 on the money line. Wow. They are getting that much juice. They're an eight and a half point favorite. Jeez. Because the game in game five in Miami, it was 52 to 49 at halftime, and it was a low scoring, sloppy game. Yep. But then the second half, Boston was like, oh, like, we're still in this and we're not shooting well. And then they just went on a huge run and won the game by 20. It felt that way against Milwaukee because even when they weren't scoring or maybe weren't at their best, you're like, okay, we can still do other things to keep ourselves in this game. And then when things turn back around, they kind of take over. So, it, yeah, it does kind of feel that way. They were kind of the way Memphis was. I felt Memphis was the same way. Even when John Morant might not have been his sharpest or at his best, Memphis could probably still do some things. They could still play enough defense. They could still get enough contributions from other guys. They can still get enough from that second unit to maybe overcome it until maybe jaw rounded back into form. But then he gets hurt, so that screws that whole dynamic up. But I feel the same way about Memphis that I do about the Celtics and their their ability to maybe stem the tide until they can get things figured out. The Grizzlies were still actually pretty good without John Moran. They really were. They were. I I was really impressed with them because I remember having this conversation in the barbershop, and we're sitting there going, what are they going to do without John? We're like, we don't know. And they came out and played well. So hats off to Memphis. I mean, yeah, not not having John definitely hurt them. But I give them credit because they still fought and they still played some great basketball even without John Moran. So the Warriors... 
Back to the NBA Finals, sixth year out of the last eight years. There you go. The two years they didn't make it was because Clay Thompson ruptured his Achilles mm-hmm. and Steph Curry wasn't healthy the other year. Right. You get Clay back. You add a third splash brother in Jordan Poole who has come out of nowhere. Oh, he's been good. He's been incredible yeah. for them. He was even starting in the Nuggets series because right. he was so good. And Curry was coming off an injury. He was like, I'm not going to screw that up. It's working. Which is a credit to Steph because he could have easily said, okay, I'm getting my spot back. I mean, being Steph Curry, who's going to argue with him? But he's just not that guy. He's right. definitely a we want to win first mentality type dude. And I think Steph understands what the possibility of them getting back to the NBA Finals meant to that group. Because when you've been there and you've been on top of the world, then you fall off, then you run into hard times. Getting back is a lot harder than getting there the first time. Absolutely. And the last time they were there, Kevin Durant was with them and he got hurt, Yes, And it was against Toronto. Against Toronto. He got hurt, came back, wanted to play again. He got hurt again. And the Toronto fans were cheering because of his injury. Mm. And Toronto beat Golden State. And Kawhi Leonard became a hero. Yes. And then he left. Yep. <laughs> he, left. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to be here anymore. In true Toronto fashion. <laughs> no, it, it's 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 a good point, and I totally agree with it. I, I think it's I think it's a lot different now with the Warriors. Here's why I like their chances, because the the, the obvious ones are a healthy Steph, a healthy Clay, and you mentioned Jordan Poole, which are three great reasons why they can win this series. But that's not the thing that really pushes it over the top for me. For me to feel like, hey, this is the Warriors group or something similar to it that we remember from, you know, the previous six years they were in the or the previous five years that they were in the finals in the previous seven years. It's the second unit for me. Mm -hmm. They've got their starters back, which allows them to have the guys who wouldn't be starting normally to now be that second unit. And that second unit is better than most teams second unit. That second unit is also better than some teams' starting units <laughs> and how efficient and how productive they are. In the previous five years when they made it to the NBA Finals and that handful of times they won championships, a big part of that was because they had a second unit that was that good. Steph and Clay and those guys and Draymond could have a seat. The second unit could step in. Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, those guys can step in and play at a level where there wasn't much of a drop-off. Right. It feels that way again. That second unit steps in now, and it feels like they can keep things rolling without much of a drop-off compared to the first unit. And they're young. Moses, yes. Moses Moody, Woo-Pig. Woo-Pig! Jonathan Kaminga, who's, what, 19 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Nemanja Bialica is putting up numbers. I remember him yeah. with the Timberwolves. I was like, who's this guy? They, and he's putting up numbers. They got young talent that fits what they need to do. They fit that system in Golden State. And I love the fact that they found young talent that fit what they're doing. And Steve Kerr. I, I, I look at Steve Kerr the way that people looked at Phil Jackson. That we just assume that, okay, well, Phil had Jordan. I mean, is he really that great of a coach? I get it. Steve Kerr has Clay and Steph, and he has Jordan Poole, and he has Draymond. But you still got to find a way to make all those pieces work. That's what the important thing was during that Bulls run in the 90s. The first three times around, that team was a little bit more homegrown. Those guys had come up together. They had kind of been molded in a certain way. So by the time they hit that peak, everybody knew what they were. But then Jordan leaves. That two, that couple years in between, the Rockets went back-to-back championships. Jordan returns. And then you see an entirely different group. However, some of the mainstays are there, including Steve Kerr being there. And then you get a Dennis Rodman. Then you get some other pieces like a Ron Harper. And those pieces 
under Phil Jackson are able to congeal and create that kind of machine that they had a few years before. And then you see three more in a row. That's what this feels like. It feels like they're, it, it's back to being the Golden State that we remember when they were on top. When you ask, is Steve Kerr really that good or is it just the team? Look what the team looked like with Mike Brown when he filled in. Exactly. <laughs> and then Kerr comes back and he goes, oh, we're getting dominated inside the paint. Maybe I should start Kavon Looney at center instead right. of Draymond. Right. Oh, look, we can contain Steven Adams now. Oh, now we got Draymond on uh, Jared Jackson Jr. And it worked. <laughs> Steve Young. I mean, Steve Young. Wow. Wow. My brain went back for 20 years. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr made simple adjustments that worked. Meanwhile, it felt like Mike Brown made every wrong decision. <laughs> it just felt like he did everything wrong. And I'll admit, I thought even without Steve Kerr, they could make it work because you'd figure Mike Brown had some familiarity with what they were doing. They were they both coached under Greg Popovich. Like, you know, you figure maybe maybe some of the, the pop juice may be rubbed off. Nope. Not really. <laughs> not really. Mike Brown and Steve Kern, not the same results at all. Same thing with um, oh, Mark Jackson when he was the coach of right. the Warriors. It was that right. same unit, but they stunk under him. <laughs> and I, I'm one of those people when you hear like you hear people talk about, like, oh, Mark Jackson has a shot to get another job. And I'm sitting there going, why? <laughs> do we really trust Mark Jackson to do the right things here? This the first time didn't work out too well. And he had that team. <laughs> right. Not only could he not seem to make the right decisions, they didn't really like him too much. So there's there was a lot there. Maybe there's a reason why he's an analyst right now. There maybe things should some things should stay where they are and let let some sleeping dogs lie. So putting a bow on this one. First of all, the Warriors are doing this without their number 1 pick right. in James Wiseman. Right. They went and got in the draft because they needed a big man. Kevon Looney has stepped into that role perfectly. They're now going to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in eight years. They have become the Chicago Bulls of our of my generation. It feels like I, it. I wasn't alive during that '90s run of the the Bulls had, or I was, and I was you know four years old. But <laughs> the Lakers went through their run of just winning championships yep. and everything. But the Warriors, when healthy. I mean, look, at the beginning of the year, it was, oh, we're going to get Suns and Bucks again. Nobody even thought about Golden State. Cause no. Like, What's Clay going to look like coming right. off of that injury? There were too many questions. And here they are again. And they've answered them all. So, all right, so they're going to win, right? <laughs> I, whether it's Boston or Miami, if it's Boston, they might make it a six-game series. If it's Miami, Golden State will roll them. That's how I feel about that. But I think your point is valid. It, it's It's come to the point where... Golden State has become that group. They are that team that's kind of steamrolling through the league. But let's go back through the history of the league. Let's go decade by decade. This this league has really been, for lack of a better word, ruled by teams that just won in bunches. Yes. I mean, if you think about it, the seventies was really Boston's decade. Then you had the eighties, where it was like Boston. It was Boston's decade at the beginning, and then later on, well, I should say at the beginning, we thought it was Boston's decade. Lakers won in 1980, and then it was back and forth in the 80s with those two, and then the latter part of that decade going into the early 90s, Detroit was like, hey, we're going to come in and grab a couple for ourselves here, and then here comes Chicago in the 90s, the Lakers in the 2000s, um, the Spurs found a way to wedge themselves in there, the Rockets wedged themselves in between the two Chicago runs. Miami but had four years in a row. Miami LeBron. had a bunch of years <laughs> with LeBron, 
And even then, you still saw San Antonio finding the way they wedged their way back in there, too. So it, it was the ghost of Tim Duncan, the ghost of Tim Duncan with with the Sith Lord pop running the whole show. The ghost of Tony Parker and Manu <laughs> Ginobili. Dude, how were they in the NBA finals? Those guys were all 50. Kawhi, because you had you had Kawhi Loren at the time. You had young Kawhi Loren under the Sith Lord, the, the new Sith, uh, the new Sith apprentice. They were seriously the new order. They were. The, they were the third order. That's what they were. With Kawhi there, they had become the third order. You 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 know how the and, analogy and goes. And Patty with me. Mills and Danny Green, they had the supporting cast. I, I mean, I mean, you could take those names, replace them with other ones, and it felt like the same thing. It felt like Sean Elliott and Dennis Rodman and those guys you put in there, Avery Johnson. It was just you just replaced the faces, but the results were the exact same. I feel like San Antonio was always different in that respect. They were never really respected as a true dynasty that way. Correct, because. I mean, but they just kept making it back every single year. Because the Sith operate in silence. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Let's move. Okay, so so Warriors are going to win it. Yeah, I got Warriors winning this. They have the home court advantage either way, yes. I read. Which yes. Is, which is interesting to me because the Heat are the one seed in the East. Right. Celtics are the two seed in the East. The Warriors are the three in the West. So why did they get the home because they had more wins? I think it's just a better record. Okay. I yeah. think that's what it is. So the so. Warriors will be at home, and they're undefeated in the playoffs at home. So Oracle's I, the I toughest like place to play right now. And it's now, what, the Chase Center? I guess it's the Chase Center. Yeah. Yeah. There you they, go. They brought that up. They, they uh, brought it up to Curry and uh, Draymond on Inside the NBA. They're like, you know, new arena, new players. You guys are still the same team, though. Pretty much. <laughs> they are. Pretty much. And that, that's not a bad thing in their, in their regard. Right. Let's go from one product that hasn't met the mark to another product that hasn't met the mark. You and I have talked so much about how MLB frustrates us. First, we talked about how much it frustrated us because they weren't playing games because of the stupid lockout. And then we hated the details of the lockout. And how stupid Rob Manfred looked and sounded whenever he was laughing during his press conference that they weren't going to play. Yeah. And then every week it was, well, we, we might still be able to play 162. Then finally they come to an agreement. We're like, hey, we're going to get a full season of baseball. And the product has been pathetic. It had, and I think a lot of it, and, and I think people have voiced their opinions about this. It feels like the third, a third of the league is, is all that's left to contend. And everybody else is just kind of spinning their wheels. Gosh, the Reds are already done. Yeah. And it's May 29th. Yeah. They're done. <laughs> we're, we're talking about the Pirates playing for third place already. Because yeah. I think we, I think you and I both know. Either the Brewers or the Cardinals are going to win the division, and I think right now, you would think right now it's probably heavily the Brewers, but you know me, I never count the, count the Cardinals out because <laughs> they could be so damn cardinally. But it feels like, for me, that the, the Pirates and Cubs are playing for third because we know the Reds are toast already. Correct. And then they turn around and beat the Cubs 20-5. to five. So, who the hell knows? They're they're still toast, but <laughs> but twenty to five. Come on, they, I mean, that's not the first blowout either. You know how many times we've seen position players pitching in games already? Uh, it's been a lot. So you mean that you mean for that one night the Reds were toast? It just happened to have some really good jelly on it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> God, that's awful. But it it does it 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 does it does accent a larger point. I can probably go through each division and probably tell you who's going to win it right now in May can probably tell you. Yeah. I mean, uh, you and I both love baseball. Yeah. But I haven't watched nearly as much baseball as I used to. Nor have I. It's The product has been that bad. And before, you and I used to bet on it. We'd be really excited about it. Yeah, and we discuss it daily. But it, it's We talk just, about matchups on a daily basis. 
it's just not there anymore. Looking at you look at what this league looks like right now. The Mets have a seven and a half game lead right now in their division. I expect them to win the it's East. I expect them to win the East before the season. Twenty seventh. Yeah. Or twenty ninth. The Brewers have a four and a half game lead on the Cardinals and a ten ten game lead on the Pirates. So it's literally the Brewers and the Cardinals, and that's it. Right. You brought that up. Which is what I expected. The Reds are fourteen and a half games out. That's insane. The Dodgers and the Padres are both actually neck and neck. The Padres are two games back from the Dodgers. The Giants are five and a half back from the Dodgers. Now, we expected that more last season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Padres let us down massively. But it, it, still, it still fits with the general theme. But look we the knew the run, Dodgers and the Padres would be at the top. Look at the run differential. The Dodgers are plus 114. That's nuts. The next highest is the Yankees at plus 73. 114 is 73. <laughs> I mean, they're close to doubling up the next team. The Pirates are minus 83, and that is My God. dead last. My word, that's awful. <laughs> that's bad. The Yankees are five and a half games ahead of the Rays yep. right now with a plus 73 run differential. I think we expected more out of Toronto in that division, but that was probably the only threat that could have been there. They're seven and a half games out right now. Yikes. Yeah. Man, that bullpen's bad. No, it's horrible. Ugh. The Twins are leading the Central Division. That's the one preseason. We did pick the divisions before the season, did we? Didn't we? Yeah, I took the White Sox. We, I think we both took the White Sox. Yeah, they're four and a half games out. Wow. Well, Jose Abreu is not hitting right now. And I think Luis Robert has hurt again. Like, they're, they're not staying healthy, and their pitching staff is so bad after Giolito. True. My goodness, Dallas Keuchel. He's got like a nine ERA right now. I got to give a different Woo Pig for Dallas Keuchel. It's not as an enthusiastic Woo Pig. It's a I'm a concerned Woo Pig for Dallas Keuchel. And then here's the one that really just shocks me. At the beginning of the year, at the beginning of our predictions, I said Seattle will be a wild card team. Dead last in the West, 11 games out. The Rangers are in third place in that division. Wow. The Halos are two and a half behind Houston. Well, how many times have I been talking about the Angels finally needing to put it together? Yeah, and, and I think they finally are starting to do that, and it helps when you add Noah Syndergaard to that terrible rotation. Because they finally found pitching. Because the Angels have bats. We know that. They've had bats for years now, but they've never had pitching. So now you have Shohei Otani as a fixture in that rotation. You add Noah Syndergaard. You have an actually somewhat stable bullpen. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a, I was a big Rice Iglesias guy. I'm I'm really hopeful now about the Angels. I'm one of those guys that's just like I really want to see that team put it together yeah, because you know what talent they have. The playoffs. Exactly, that's exactly what we want to see. I feel like MLB could be so much better if Mike Trout's in the postseason. He's a guy that needs to be there. He needs to be there having an impact on games. He's a guy I want to see in the postseason. Juan Soto was the guy I want to see in the postseason. Um, there's uh, another kid. not going to see that for a while. Who else am I thinking about? There's another hitter that I want to see in the postseason. Ronald Acuna. Ronald Acuna. Thank year. you. The kid, I was going to say the kid in Atlanta. Ronald Acuna. Those are kids I want to see in the postseason because not only do they play for good teams, but those are guys that can make huge impact on a postseason series. I want that really badly. So putting a bow on this, and basically we've just ripped how bad the product is. <laughs> we what, have. What needs to change? And and how can how can they fix this? Because it has always been been home run or strikeout for the last couple of years now. That's what this league has become. They're not putting the ball in play anymore. Everybody's either striking out or swinging for the fences. That 20-5 to game, the Reds hit 14 home runs. I mean, it, it's just... 
It's terrible. You know what I'm going to say it's going to take, right? What's it going to take? Kids, Kids and pitching. pitching. <laughs> Kids and pitching. You got to find more organizations. And I'm going to I'm going to hammer this out until I find evidence to the contrary. The best teams, Greg, in the last 20 plus years. The best teams that have been able to emerge to the top, and for the most part, the ones that have won the World Series, have had somewhat of a combination of kids and pitching. And by kids, I don't mean like complete exact youth, but I do mean guys that they've developed through their system. And and some measure of youth also. But in today's game, which is a young man's game now, it's going to take a combination of kids and pitching. And there's only a few teams, I feel, that have that combination. Yeah, but we went through that at the beginning off air. I texted right. you my rundown. And there aren't many teams that have kids in pitching. It's it's going to take, in the future, it's going to take teams that can find that balance. And there's only a few that I think are capable right now. Houston's one of them that's going to find a way. As much as I tell you that I never count out St. Louis, give them another year or two. They'll be back. They'll be back to that point where you're like, where the hell did St. Louis come from and why are they so good? Give well, them a year or two. They're so good because they have Nolan Arenado and Paul Coach. Well, that's true, <laughs> but... But they also have talent coming up from that system. There's always some kid from Memphis that comes in and tears the cover off the ball. I watched them play in Springfield when I covered double-A baseball in the Texas League, when I covered the Royals double-A affiliate. It seemed like there was always some kid in Springfield who was too damn good. Now, at the time when I was there, it was Oscar Tavares. He gets the triple-A, finally gets an opportunity, tragically dies in a car accident, right. rest in peace. But at the time when I was there 10 years ago, Oscar Tavares was that next big name. And he had a couple guys behind him that who could become that guy. Is this and they Gorman always had him, kid going to be that guy? I think Gorman could be that guy. They, they, they seem to really think highly of him. I mean, granted, he gets his first opportunity. His first at bat, he lines a base hit. It was against the Pirates. I know. <laughs> but at the same time, he's a kid that they're high on. Matthew Liberator, the pitcher who started the game after Gorman made his debut, which, by the way, awesome story. They've been friends since they were five years old. Yeah, that's insane. They end up on the same team, make the majors, and debut a day apart. That's insane. That's absolutely nuts. But, yeah, Matthew Liberator, the pitcher, he's another guy they're really high on. He's probably one of their top pitching prospects. Gorman's their top hitting prospect. Now they're both with this team. If those guys develop the way we've known for Cardinals prospects to do it, They'll be back in this really fast, if not by the end of the season at the rate that they're doing it. So the way, so the way to fix it's kids and pitching, which I already knew that was going to be your answer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the only way that I can see other teams. Like you've talked about Seattle. Seattle's one of those perfect examples. I know Seattle frustrates you now. A year or two, I can see Seattle being at the top of the West and being at the top of the West for a good period of time. Because I like what they're doing. They're building it slowly, but they're building it the right way. They're not making a move too early. They're trusting what they have in front of them and just letting it go the way it should. Seattle will be there in a couple of years. Okay. Final topic here on this rapid fire. Connor McDavid. Oh. So I'm watching, um, I'm watching game five on Thursday. It goes to overtime because they scored four <laughs> goals in four minutes, which is just ridiculous Jeez. in itself. Yeah, The Flames take the lead because they kick the puck in. Is this a thing? Screwing the Flames? <laughs> I think it might be. And be. So, they, so they review it, and they say, you know, it was a kicking motion. They kick the puck in. No goal. Game goes to overtime. The Oilers have the puck in the Flames zone. A pass goes to McDavid. As soon as I heard mm. the words, and here's McDavid, I'm like, he's scoring right here. It's yep. over. Wrist shot, glove side, goal. Edmonton goes to the Western Conference Finals. He has 26 points 
in 12 games. We've never seen something like this from a player like that. I have two thoughts about that. Number one is that it feels like this is becoming Connor McDavid's league. This Connor McDavid is rising, and he should rise the entire length to the top to be the face of the league. And I hope the NHL doesn't screw this up. At the same time, I am very nervous about us getting the most mileage out of it because he still plays in Edmonton, yes. and I don't know if that franchise is built well enough to keep that train rolling the way it should. I so was, that scares me. When we talked about this topic, I was reading an article just about McDavid, and the the writer just says, now granted, he plays for Edmonton. They're still a dumpster fire. But right? at least they have Connor McDavid right. to be it, on dry cycle. It, it feel, they, people, I think people feel the way about Edmonton now, the way they felt about the Penguins in the early 80s. They're like, yeah, they got Mario Lemieux, but uh, they're still the Penguins. Like Their first line is gross with McDavid, Evander Kane, yes. and dry cycle. Yeah, but after disgusting. that, they kind of stink. <laughs> right, and and there's still more development that needs to happen, and there's more more evolution of that franchise, and I hope they follow through on that. But I, I'm glad you brought up that that overtime goal with McDavid. I feel like the response to when the puck is on Connor McDavid's stick is like the response of prime Alexander Ovechkin. Remember when Ovechkin would have the puck on his stick and the entire arena would just be like, oh, like you just, the, the entire mood, grip like it, the sound. and rip it, slap shot, you knew it was going to be a goal. <laughs> like just the sound of the fans in the arena change, whether they were at home or on the road, it was like, everybody's like, oh crap, it's Ovechkin, what's he going to do? Right. Like that, that kind of anticipation now, it's getting that way with Connor McDavid. And that's an awesome thing to behold. When you know a guy is the best guy on the ice, he's got the puck on his stick and you're like, okay, what's going to happen? We're recording this about 15 minutes before Colorado and St. Louis drop the puck. Oof. If we don't get McKinnon McDavid, the NHL is screwed. Yes. I don't think anybody is signing up for Blues and Oilers. If they want to get a good product and they want to get some eyeballs, they need McKinnon and McDavid. I agree. I agree. It has to be McKinnon and McDavid, and it has to be the Avs as a whole because that's a team that should be running away with the West. Should be. Should be. And they have to have Tampa Bay and Colorado in the, in the Stanley Cup. Whew. They have to. Tampa and Colorado would be good. That would be really, really good. Although, Tampa and Edmonton would be entertaining. It would be entertaining. But it, I, I think Colorado as a whole, though, is better than just Connor McDavid. Like, it, it's better for the viewer to watch an entire team than just, oh, McDavid's off the ice now. Who cares? Right. And if, if you have Edmonton and Tampa, it feels more like... Was that the 07 Cavs when it was like LeBron and a bunch of substitute teachers going against San Antonio? <laughs> it would have that same feel. It, it, would, it, it would be that, you know? Matthew like, Dova. <laughs> no, like that was the team that actually succeeded. Hurt. I'm thinking it's like, I'm trying to think that team. Oh, was, you're thinking uh, back in like 04 or 05. Was it 04? Like that that team with the... Like Mo Williams, Zatrunas Elgowski. <laughs> right. Like LeBron and those dudes. Booby uh, Miles or like, whatever. Booby Gibson. Gibson. Yeah. Like you got LeBron and these dudes against freaking Pop and the Spurs. You know what I mean? It, like, it had that feel to it if it's McDavid. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to end it on well, that brought note. brought in a bunch of substitute teachers really got me. <laughs> uh, on that note with the appropriate crowd pop, we will take a break. We come back. It's Is This a Think Time? Episode number 41 of the Sunday Morning Grab podcast. I can't stop laughing. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Grind podcast with Greg Finley and Josh Taylor. 
Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Anchor. Also, follow us on Twitter at Sunday, M-O-R-N, Grind. That's Sunday Morn Grind on Twitter. We cover Pittsburgh sports and national sports. Be sure to tune into the podcast each and every week. Now, back to the podcast. You hear the music. It's time to get crazy. It's time to play our favorite news headline game. Is this a thing? Greg and I go over different things we've seen or different headlines we've read or different things that have been said from time to time. And we look at these things and we ask ourselves, is this something that's really worth our time? Is it worth our attention? Or is it indeed fake news? We will discuss. Greg's got the list of topics and we got some pretty good ones. Okay, so we're going to start with uh, the local one, which is really funny. <laughs> so I, I'm just scrolling Twitter the other day, and I see Kabali and Chris Carter tweeting about their conversation about how weird they were getting about Najee Harris during OTAs. And it got to the point where... They were uh, they were being really weird and kind of creepy. So my question to you is: Steelers beat writers being creepy at OTAs? Is this a thing? It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. But it's specifically about Najee Harris because Najee Harris, for those who don't know, he has shown up at OTAs in like tremendous physical shape. I- I've heard this from literally four or five different guys about just how in great shape Najee Harris was and how great he looks and how well he moves. And it like when, so when you hear Carter and Kabali talking about it, where it felt like it was getting like borderline sexual talking about just how great he looked. I, they're not the only guys. Now, granted, did it get as creepy with, as it did with Carter Kabali? Probably not from the other guys I've heard from, but yeah, there are a lot of folks on that beat talking about just how great Najee Harris looks and it's starting to look like the recent edition of the swimsuit edition just came out. <laughs> and they're talking about the centerfold, but they're talking about the Steelers starting running back. And yes, it's a thing. Here's the actual tweet from Mark Kabali. Me and Carter critiques staring at Najee Harris lower torso during drills today almost turned creepy. Chris Carter replies, you were the one who said, I'm not into dudes, but <laughs> Kabali said, I can't repeat what you said. <laughs> It's it's getting there. It's you know, get, I'm telling you, you yeah. It's Carter, a thing. You know, Carter always tweets the Yoshi gif hitting the hammer. <laughs> Yoshi bump. <laughs> they needed a horny police gif. They really did. They definitely needed a horny police gif. Yes, uh, Steelers beat writers are, are are needing to be reprimanded by the horny police about the Steelers starting running back. It is a thing. I got a follow up from that. How about um, uh, Andrew Stocky? reporting that Deontay Johnson wasn't at OTAs, which you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to do so it. So the Steelers made him delete the tweet? He got taken to Steelers jail he got taken to He got taken to Steelers Twitter jail. You gotta, you gotta know the rules, man. Yeah, that's why a lot of times I'm over there, man. I'm like, I, you whatever, don't tweet anything. whatever they tell me, I do, because I'm not getting myself in trouble on the south side. I'm not getting nothing taken away. I got the pass to get in when the gate is locked. I'm not giving that up. Jeff Athorn had a great quote on 93.7 The Fan. Pony said to him, Jeff, you didn't commit any uh, fouls yet did he said the day's not over yet (laughs) (laughs) it's still early and he was doing an interview with them so you know they were trying to get him in trouble like they do with colony all the time jeff hathorne quality human (laughs) okay uh the next one uh how about this one 
the future of hockey fights. So I see on social media, yeah, splitting chicklets. I want to say, yeah, spitting chicklets is uh, is one of the popular hockey podcasts. Yeah, spitting chicklets. It was. Oh man, I can't find it now, which stinks. But they're they're fighting inside of a a hockey arena. Yeah, it's like a it's like a kind of a half of a hockey rink, but it, the Ice Wars is what it's called, I believe. Yeah. yeah. It's like boxing, but it's hockey fighting. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you do it till you incas- in, 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 yeah, incapacitate your opponent? Yeah, I mean, uh, if there's if there's a future for hockey fights, maybe that's it because there has been more of a push to kind of maybe decrease the importance of it in the game. But, I mean, if you can find a niche that can you profit from it, why not, right? Maybe that's one thing that the old the old timers and, like, the old guard can can look at and keep themselves entertained. I don't think it's a thing, though. I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take off. I don't think it will last as a thing. I think that's the way I want to describe that. Yep, yep. Uh, I don't want to talk about this one, but we have to because it's part <laughs> of our list. So I'm texting you. Probably what twelve fifteen twelve thirty. Yeah, it was pretty you were, late. You were still awake though. I didn't wake you up. <laughs> the Mets were getting pounded by the Giants eight to two. I'm like, man, like I'm not gonna watch the rest of this. It's a blowout. <laughs> but for some reason, I turned it back on, and the Mets cut it eight to four. I'm like, okay, all right. Seven run eighth inning. The Mets go up eleven to eight. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? This team, oh my. By then, I'm following along. <laughs> yes. And then Jock Peterson just happened. So Jock Peterson had two home runs in two at-bats, four RBIs at that time. Mm -hmm. No, five RBIs at that time. They've got first and second. No, they've got a runner on first. And Drew Smith, the pitcher for the Mets, walks the guy in front of Jock on four pitches. And I'm like, okay, that's got to be it. They got a lefty warm-up. That was Kyle Schwarber, right? No, no, no. That's that was the Dodgers series. That was the Dodgers series. Darren okay. Ruff was who got walked. Yes, on four pitches. So here comes Jock. I'm like, okay, he's got to pull him. Bring in the lefty. Jock stinks against lefties. They said he was one for twelve against lefties this year. And nope, Buck doesn't even come out. They don't nope. even send the pitching coach out. Nope. First pitch, strike one. Second pitch, fastball inside, and Jock turns on it and hits it into the cove. Ties the game at 11. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So that was his third home run in the game. And the last time, uh, last Giant to do that with three home runs in the game was Barry. Willie Mays. No, it was Barry Bonds. Bonds had three. Bonds had three. Mays had four. Mays had four. four. But the last last Giant to hit three home runs in the game had been Barry Bonds. And he probably hit all three in McCovey Cove. I would guess (laughs) at least two of them did at that point. That was that Bonds. So Jock hits one into the cove. I'm like, all right, that stunk. <laughs> the Mets in the top of the ninth retake the lead. They get two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base hit, base hit, first and third. Oh, look who's up, Josh. It's Jock Peterson oh my again. God. So what are we going to do this time? Oh, we're going to throw him a fastball right down the middle. Base hit center field, game tied again. Jock Peterson comes through again. And then Brandon Crawford hits a base hit, and the Giants walk off the Mets in the ninth inning. The Mets going full Mets again, and just dumb managing is a thing. It's a thing. Of course it's a thing. It's the Mets. Mets going full Mets has always been a but thing. But the Dodgers did the same thing, and you brought yes, it up they with did. Kyle Schwarber on Sunday last week. Dave Roberts has them intentionally walk Kyle Schwarber, putting the tying run in scoring position because he just didn't want to face him. So he faces Gene Segura, who might be the hottest hitter in that lineup right now, minus Bryce Harper. Former Texas League guy. 
And Segura rips a single, ties the game, <laughs> and then Max Muncy boots a ground ball, hit right to him in extras, and they lose the game. Oh, man. What are these managers doing? Like, it's common sense when a lefty that's hitting the cover off the ball in Jock Peterson comes up that you go to a lefty in es- that situation. Especially when he's not hitting lefties. It, it's really common sense. So what are we doing here? That's a great question. Managers making bonehead decisions in common sense situations. It's a thing right now. It's definitely a thing. Kids and pitching won't solve it. <laughs> Kids and pitching can't solve that. Dumb. Kids and pitching does not overcome dumb managers. Dumb managers have to fend for themselves. And then here's here's the final one, and I just got a good kick out of this. After <laughs> game four, when the Mavericks finally beat the Warriors, Maxi Kleba said into a microphone, <laughs> you know, if you don't want to believe, you don't have to believe, but we're, we're, we got, we have potential to make a run here. Oh, my God. I quote tweeted and said, LOL, you guys are going to get smoked in game five. Uh, they lost by 10, but they were down by 30 at one point. They pulled <laughs> the starters. Not a thing, Maxie. You're no. not going to win four in a row against the Dubs. No, not a thing. Not against <laughs> that team. And you had to play three more in chase. Like, and as much as we talked about that team just now, no, you're not doing that against them. No you had to play two of the final three at chase. <clears throat> nope. And they're undefeated at chase. Not happening. I'm sorry, but that was just stupid. <laughs> and I get it. Like, you're not going to say into a microphone, we know we're done. But you're not going to say that either. Like, no. I would just say, you know, we're taking it one game at a time. We're happy we got this win. We got a lot more work to do. I would have been like, fine. Yeah. Like, he believes they have a shot. But you say something stupid like that, I'm going to rip you for it. Is it, that fair? Everyone's <laughs> going to rip you for it. It's not just you. Everybody's going to rip a guy for doing that. You know, it's just, it's. I, I, I credit Dallas for trying to have the valor to stick around. But no, we. I think everybody knew by the time it got to that point. We're like, okay, they're cooked. We knew. <laughs> like, come on. I, I appreciate I appreciate the I appreciate falling uh, falling or 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 dying on your feet instead of living on your knees. But no, they go on a fourteen four run in the third quarter, and Lucas clapping like, "Hey, we're back within 10. <laughs> and Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr's just like, "Hey, Steph, Clay, uh, Draymond, sweep the leg. Can you guys get back in there and get us back up twenty again?" And in seconds, yeah, Clay three, Clay three, Curry three, and the Warriors are back up twenty four. And like, all right, you guys come back out yeah, again. The first unit just comes back in and sweeps the leg, and it's over. They're done. It's insane. That's how good that team is. That's why we both think this team's going to win the NBA Finals. That's why. Yeah, they're they're deep. Uh, they are really, really deep. I mean, they're not they're not like Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, like those big three deep. No, but, but Andrew Wiggins has really stepped up his game this year. They have exactly what they needed the first time around, and they're going to cash in on it. It's going to happen. All right. With that, that was, is this a thing? With that said. We come to an end of another episode, episode number 41, the Lee Flowers episodes in the books. As always, follow the show on Twitter at Sunday M-O-R in Grind. Follow Greg Finley at The G Fin. Follow me at Josh Taylor HD. Thanks again for listening to the Sunday Morning Grab Podcast. We'll check you next time.